So as we kick off this series on the five solas, I thought this passage would be quite appropriate. Paul wrote this letter to a young pastor, Timothy, who he invested heavily in. He so nurtured him in the faith that Paul referred to himself as Timothy's spiritual father. Paul loved him dearly. At this point in Paul's life, he is waiting to be executed and he wants to leave some parting words with his spiritual son. Since he'll be gone soon, he emphasizes the importance of doing what he's been taught, of keeping close watch on himself and on passing down the faith to others as was done for him. He also warns Timothy of difficulties he'll be facing. With that, I will read it. 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of the first things that we see here in this passage, what Paul is imparting to Timothy, so that he may continue in the faith, continue in the matter that he was taught was to avoid those who appear godly, but oppose the truth. We see from verses one through nine, we see that these people have a corrupt character. Now this isn't a comprehensive list of sins or to say that each person would display 
every one of these sins. But it is representative of a person who isn't actually following God. We see a number of things here. We see one is a characterization of being self-focused. There's a love of money, of pleasure, of self. There's pride and arrogance. We see that these people may be swollen with conceit. It is solely self-focused. It's all about me. We also see for these people that they treat others, frankly, like trash. We're called to love our neighbor, but see how these people treat others. They are abusive, disobedient to parents, heartless, slanderous, brutal, treacherous, reckless, unappeasable, looking to take advantage of others. And it fits then that they're also said to have no love of God. They're ungrateful. They're unholy. And they have the appearance of godliness, but deny his power. Isn't it strange that even with this extensive list of characteristics that you would not want for yourself or for your children or for any of your friends, that they could still have an appearance of godliness. It almost doesn't really fit. Doesn't seem to make much sense. But there is a way that someone could be outwardly religious, outwardly upright, but still inside have no love of God. Inside have no vitality, have no life. They're just beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there's death. Now it's no surprise given the character of these people that these people have also essentially separated themselves from truth. We see in verse seven how they are always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. And just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. These are men who will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Their corrupt conduct is no surprise given their rejection of the truth. What we believe is revealed by our behavior. I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be hard to discern my real motives. Why, why did I do this? I often think I know exactly why I did that and I will tell you my intent. But if you're ever cross-examined when you think you've done something right, but not quite, sometimes you don't know. But our behavior has a way of revealing what we were really thinking, what we really believe. Now the two names that are here are names that are captured in extra biblical sources for Pharaoh's magicians. If you remember back in Exodus, as Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, and they have a staff and they're talking with them and they're doing these signs and wonders, 
as Moses and Aaron do a sign and wonder, Pharaoh has magicians who mimic it and they do something similar. That happened a few times. And even though they, a plague would happen, the magicians would do that. And it got, it kept happening a few times until it got to the third plague. Although they tried to essentially outduel God, they saw that God's power was not the common elementary power of the other gods. Their pride was shown to be misplaced when they couldn't replicate the third plague of gnats. They had to admit to Pharaoh that this is the finger of God. So these two were just kind of um, always looked to and always held up as examples of people who oppose God, that they tried to defy him, tried to go against him. But who would want to follow after and hang out with people who are obviously following something other than God? I mean, Pharaoh's magicians, what Christian is going to say, hey, I want these to be my best buds. I want to learn from them. How can I learn how to follow God better by hanging out with you guys? Of course, that's not what we would do. These magicians were just representatives, though, for anyone going against God. What about when teaching seems more reasonable, understandable, wise even, from someone who believes the Bible is true? Let's look at another example. Let's see in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. And this passage starts off, and the pharaohs and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Korban that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down in many such things you do. So we see an example of the Pharisees. And we, as we've been going through Luke, I've just been struck time and time and time again by their conduct. These Pharisees look God honoring on the outside. They are very zealous. They are not casual Christians who just come on Sunday. They are doing everything. Every program you could join, every um, tradition, every religious thing, they're all doing it. They seem to care so much about God, about his honor, about being pure. But while they may 
say these religious rules are all about showing honor to God and being holy. Verse five in this passage in Mark shows what they're actually defending. They asked Jesus why his disciples weren't walking according to the tradition of the elders by eating with defiled hands. In reality, the heart of the Pharisees were hardened to God's commands. Let's look in verse eight, you see, they leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. They reject the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. It continues on to say, you know, even though Moses said, honor your father and your mother, but you say. In verse 13, they make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It's not just that the Pharisees had rules that they thought should be followed in order to best follow God. They actually rejected God's commands in order to establish what they truly valued, their religious rules. This wasn't like an addition to a well-loved house, your family home that you saved up for for so long that you have precious memories in that you love and you just want to renovate it to bring it up to code. You just want to renovate, just move things around. You want to do a fixer upper, but you love the house. You want to stay there. You love everything about it. This is not that situation. This is having a house that you long hated and that you can't wait to tear down so you can build what you really love. You can build your dream home and you're gonna do everything you can to protect it, to make sure that it stays pristine. Though they knew the Bible and believed it was God's word, they were true disciples of the tradition of men. Their ultimate allegiance was to uphold, propagate and protect their tradition. Their tradition is where they found their power, their prestige, and their identity. Their tradition also provided interpretive cover, a religious exemption, if you will, for wickedness. A way of, hey, maybe someone doesn't want to provide for their parents. So if, if you say that you've dedicated this to God, then now as a child, you can no longer give it to your parents. But you could keep it until you die. The Pharisees encourage, oh, you're, you're looking, for, here's something you can do. And this is good and religious and this is honoring to God because you must fulfill your vow but they're using their tradition 
to actually keep this person from doing what is clearly in Scripture to honor your parents. You see, the heart has a weird way of determining our interpretation. And that's what we see here. Now, the interesting thing is, though Timothy was a pastor, as we shift back into Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, though Timothy was a pastor, he was still called to avoid these influences. And we should do the same. As a pastor, Timothy was called to be a shepherd to God's sheep, his people. While Timothy was a shepherd, he was also still a sheep himself. Now today we use the term sheep as kind of a put down for anybody who is just kind of following, just going somewhere. They don't know what's best. They're just going along. Just wherever they're led, they just go there whether it's to buy something or to do something or this is just what the crowd is doing, that's where that sheep is going. Uh, I saw a clip with a woman who's being interviewed. And in this clip, she's talking about how uh, she really strives to honor God, to follow him. And she was looking forward and knowing that God was separating and going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the interviewer said, and what are you, a sheep or a goat? And she said, well, I must be a goat because I ain't a sheep. We don't like to think of ourselves like sheep, just can be led. But while we may not usually think of ourselves this way, God calls us sheep. Sheep are swayable. We are prone to wander on our own. And the wrong influence can drive us as well. Brothers and sisters, let's be very careful about who we hang around. Because COVID isn't the only thing that we can get from being close to people. Let's distance ourselves physically and virtually from people who are calling us to behavior and not driving us to the Bible. Whatever we're hearing, we should be like the Bereans. The Bereans were called more noble because even though they listened to the word, they went back and made sure it actually said what the person was saying it said. In, in, in that way, they're being, I don't know, wise sheep, but they are being careful. They want to follow God. And we, I know we have that same desire to follow God. We want to, we love his word, and we just need to always verify. Always ask for receipts. Well, 
that's a very interesting point of view. What scripture are you basing that on? Just, just help me out. I, I'm not familiar with that one. And I don't necessarily know how that fits in, but just, just help me. Just show me where it is. And we should all be humble about this because we don't always know. We may not be very familiar with that scripture. We may have forgotten it. We may not know how that applies, but that's what we should be driving to. Because the only people who are going to be calling us to follow God's word is going to be people who are in God's word. And we need to be doing the same. Point two. From verses 10 through 13. We are to follow the pattern of those who walk according to truth. We see from verses 10 through 13, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, unlike the religious teachers who were to be avoided, we look at Paul, his teaching in life, they were in step with the gospel. So Paul and others who have and are continuing to display Christ-like qualities can actually be trustworthy and indispensable guides in the way of Christ. Unlike the godless religious teachers who were hypocrites, mature saints have teaching, conduct, and endurance and suffering that reminds us of Jesus. Now, not perfectly, not perfectly, but genuinely. Whoever has been born again is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, new has come. There's something genuinely new and different when someone is born again. Now, I was particularly struck by the inclusion here of Paul's aim in life. His love and endurance in trials as things that Timothy followed Paul in doing. Where would someone be heading if they followed these things in our lives? In your life, where, what is your aim? So much so that just by being around you, they say, here's where I should be going. This is what's important. This is what matters. This aim where I want to go in my life, how I love, how I go through difficult circumstances. The way that Paul did it had a fragrance of Christ. The Christian life is tangible and living. It's real. It's not dead religion. We can help each other grow. We can help each other to follow Christ more closely. 
So look for mature saints with this character to help you along. It will benefit you. Now, don't just do whatever they do. Don't just mimic them. But we are talking about following someone as they follow Christ. Someone who can help you. Someone who can be an example and just help you think through some things. Help you in the scripture to think of certain passages. To help challenge you like a good friend can. A good friend who knows Jesus and who's been walking with them for a while. This is how God set up the church to build us up so that it's not just for the benefit of one, but for the benefit of all of us, that we would all grow to look more and more like Jesus. As the corrupt behavior of the false teachers revealed them to be disqualified regarding this life, a life that is in step with the Holy Spirit and his fruit is a sign of genuine authenticity. As we continue on in 2 Timothy 3 and verses 15 through 17, the third point, embrace all of God's word as sufficient for your maturity and others. actually reading it starting in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. See here again, it talks about in verse 14, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. So here, just as earlier, we were learning about Paul and following Paul's examples. Now he's actually broadening it. It's not that Paul is the one unique one to follow. The whom here is plural. And as it talks about from childhood, is most likely talking about his grandmother and his mother. If you go back to 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, and Paul talking about Timothy's sincere faith, he says it's a sincere faith that first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. This is sweet. If you are um, a parent, but not just a parent, a mentor, a teacher, an older sibling, a friend. Frankly, everyone who is a believer here. See the goodness of helping to acquaint someone with the word, with sharing the word with them, with going over Bible memory, just reading it to them. This can provide them a fantastic foundation that they can draw from later. Even if they don't become a Christian right away, I mean, I, I, I remember Bible studies and Sunday school lessons from when I was a child. And even though I didn't necessarily get all of it at the time, it has been useful. It has been a benefit. And it showed me that my parents really thought this was important. 
that has value. Now, at the same time, there may be regret. Because as we think about a good example, as we think about laying a fantastic foundation of being acquainted with the word, of having a a great example, there also may be for some or all a tinge of regret and disappointment that that is not how it was. That is not how it has been. That has not characterized our relationship. They have seen me as angry, as hypocritical, as selfish. Well, there is grace. And as long as today is today, there is still time to make a difference. To chart a new course, to be the kind of person that Christ has called us to be. As we see here in this passage, the examples and the relationships that we have, it matters. And as we say we're Christians and people watch us, whether it's your coworkers or your neighbors or your friends, your children, they watch. And they actually can pick up, they can pick up if you're angry. You may not even know you're angry yet. And if someone knows you well, they can, they can pick it up in a microaggression or a, micro, you know, a little expression. They can see it. And whether you became a Christian later in life or, um, or you've grown uh, and were immature at, a, at another time, um, just know God can still use that to be an example, to be a testimony to them. Let's be the ones who are good representatives of God's kingdom. Ones who put off the old ways and old practices and put on the new ways characterized by looking like Jesus. Now we also see in this embrace of God's word here we see in verse 16 that some of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for for no we see that all scripture is breathed out by God all of his word all scripture is all from God they are all sacred writings they are God breathed think back to Genesis with Adam God forms dust together and breathes the breath of life into him and he becomes alive that's what he has done with the word it is breathed out by God it is Um, the perfect representation of what he wants us to know. It was not a mistake. It is not a mistake. It is his very word. We, We also know from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, 
that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So some may say that, well, the Bible is written by men or is just the thoughts of men. The Bible actually says something very different, that it did not come from the imaginations of men. It did not come from their own human will. They were carried along by God so that exactly what he wanted you to know, he captured for you. So think, if God made the universe with a word, I mean, that is not, I mean, is anything too hard for him? If there's anything he wanted to do, could he not do it? I mean, from Romans 1, we see that Creation speaks of who God is, his power, his invisible attributes. Even creation is a part of the testimony to who he is. And he's kept it, even though the world is fallen. He still preserved in creation a testimony to who he is. If he wants us to know something even more specifically, he can do it. And he has done it. We think of Moses who went on Mount Sinai. He was given the Ten Commandments written with God's finger. God has provided. He has spoken. We think of the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. God has given us his very word, exactly what he wanted us to know. He has preserved for us. Now we see here that scripture is for all of Christian life. The Bible is able to make one wise for salvation. If you're wondering about what does it mean to truly follow Jesus, the Bible is the place to go. God can open your eyes that you would see him for who he truly is. Seek the Lord while he can be found. Tomorrow is not promised. Put your faith in him. He is faithful. We see the word is also profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. His word is meant to shape our thoughts, feelings, and actions and to correct us when we're going the wrong way. His word can make us complete, equipped for every good work. As we think back to Paul's aim in life, as we think back, what is our aim in life? This should be our aim in life, that we would be mature, that we would be complete, that we would look like Jesus. If you've ever had a hard day, a bad time, a rough time, sometimes someone may read Romans 8, 28 through 30. They may say, hey, all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. And that is absolutely true. Of course, all things are working together. 
But let's see what else it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Yes, God is working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. He's, he's working them all together. There is nothing in your life, no difficulty, no hardship that was by happenstance. It's all purposeful. It's all coming from the God who has given his very word to us who has redeemed us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his glorious light. And he's working all things together to conform us to the image of Jesus. That is God's goal. And that's what he's working. That's what he's doing. The question is, what are we about? Is that what we want? Is this what we're striving for? We know that whatever we pray for, we're praying for things that God wants. God is going to answer that prayer. God is going to do it. Let's be about this. Let's see his word for what it truly is. One that is able to make us wise. One that is able to make us complete, lacking nothing. Now, I know in this room, at least for anyone who's a member here, we've all signed the statement of faith. We believe that the word is inspired and useful and good and true. While we can believe that, there are ways that we can diminish its influence, which stunts our maturity by how we read it and what we focus on. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and In this passage, Jesus is giving a series of woes to the Pharisees. It's just woe after woe after woe. Um, just reflecting the terrible condition that they're in. And where they're going, where they're headed. So Jesus here says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tie the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So once again, we have the Pharisees with their appearances of godliness. They are tithing even on the herbs that they get. I mean, they don't want anything left to chance. They want to make sure they are so diligent in following God's word. And they should. They should be diligent in whatever they read in the word. They should make sure they're 
giving whatever they're supposed to be giving. But you see, the Pharisees, they focused on certain scriptures, particularly ones that can be seen by others. We think of the example where um, some people, as they go to give their offering, they do it in a very showy way that people would see, oh man, look at this big, I don't know, bag of coins. I don't know what they had, a gold bar here that I'm putting in. Wow, that is impressive. How, how holy this person is. And then you see the woman who gave just two mites. And Jesus said, she gave all she had. She gave more because she gave all of it. These they gave out of their abundance. Things like tithing. These are things that can be seen. These are things that can be done out of an impure motive to be seen by others. Whatever God commands, we should definitely do. Amen? I mean, whatever he says, I mean, whatever he says, of course, Lord, send me. What should I do? Where should I go? The problem is they did that while neglecting other matters. And not just did they neglect other, not, it's not like they just, uh, I don't know, tithed, but didn't give a free will offering or something. They did the tithing of herbs, but then neglected weightier matters. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These are common themes if you think of the prophets, if you think of the things that Israel in the Old Testament were repeatedly chastised for by God and punished for, was because they were not doing the sorts of things they should be doing, particularly for the weak in society. If someone was, um, if someone lost their property, they were supposed to be uh, get an opportunity to get that back. Um, but that would not happen. People were greedy. People were not looking out for the weak. They were not merciful. Essentially, they lacked love. They lacked love of neighbor, which is the greatest commandment along with the love of God. But there's no way that we say we love God who we've never seen while we hate our brother who we see every day. <laughs> These Pharisees would strain out wine to make sure they didn't accidentally ingest a small unclean insect. Make sure, uh, make sure there isn't a gnat somehow in that wine I'm gonna drink because that is what is most important. I am going to be very diligent with that. But how ridiculous is it that they strain out a gnat and they swallow a camel? A camel is the largest animal that they would be, you know, that they would see. And it's an unclean animal. <laughs> how ridiculous. How are you, you so focused on this that somehow 
you're drinking down a camel and that just went right over your head and it's just going down and you know didn't even notice it how can that happen It's because of their hearts. It's because of what they wanted. They did not actually love God. They were focused much more on being seen and being honored. Brothers and sisters, we should care about things like the proper mode of baptism. All right, we are a Baptist church. We should care about that. That's something that the Bible talks about. So we don't just say, eh, eh, well, you know, doesn't matter, you know. We should care about how much money we give. Are we giving appropriately? Are we giving sacrificially? But we need God's help so that we will be sensitive to his word, whether it's something we read or something that somebody brings to our attention, we need his help because there is a way once again that we are wandering, that we can wander, that our hearts are divided, that we don't even know sometimes why we think certain things or why we're going a certain way. We need his help to keep us sensitive. Let's make sure we major on the majors. Though the Pharisees believed the Bible was true, they didn't reflect God's heart or his character. God's word is meant to showcase God's wisdom and shape a people to reflect it. We need his help to do this. And there's no way we'll reach maturity only practically following parts of the Bible. We need to be ones who are careful to follow all that God has commanded us. In fact, as we think about the Great Commission and the Great Commission, we're going, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. We talk about the Great Commission all the time. The Great Commission is not simply about going and it's not simply about making converts. It's about making disciples who carefully follow all that Jesus has to say. And that starts with each of us individually, being careful to follow all that God has to say. Making sure we're at least not swallowing camels, right? As we see with the Pharisees who were hypocrites, um, you know, we can also think about how in society, people will call Christians what? 
hypocrites. Now, we don't like that too much. And we think oftentimes that people are being unfair. You haven't considered all the information. And it's also because you hate God and you don't believe the Bible is true. And that does factor in. They don't love the Bible. They don't believe it's true. They don't like some of the beliefs that we have. So if you're holding on to the beliefs that are said in the word, as Paul already said, if you live a godly life, you're going to face persecution. You're, you're going to go against the grain of the world. At the same time, think about the reputation of Jesus in the world today. You can think of any of your friends, coworkers, atheists, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, five percenter, I don't know, anyone, and think about what they think of Jesus. And to this day, thousands of years later, that no one here on earth has ever personally met Jesus, no one really has much bad things to say about Jesus. Even though they don't even believe the Bible, they don't have anything bad to say. Now, they don't believe the Bible. Are they, are they making a right judgment that Jesus was good? Yes, we'd say, oh, yeah you, yeah, you think Jesus was a good teacher? Yeah, I agree. He's more. He's more. But he was good. People can still have truth even if they don't have all of it, even if they don't know everything. When the world says that we're being hypocrites, we should, we should listen carefully. Not to assume that they're wrong, not to assume that they're right, but if we look like Jesus, would their thoughts about us be different? We should use this as an opportunity that we're actually being called out in the world for not looking like Jesus. That, that should make us go back and regroup to huddle up to, hey, hey, what, hey, what do we have to do to fit? We need a team meeting. In sports, they, you know, they have a big loss. They say, hey, we need a team meeting, closed door meeting. Don't talk about it. And then everyone talks about it in the media. But we need a team meeting. We need to figure this thing out. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's huddle up. Let's say, hey, hey, how, how do we better reflect Jesus in the world? That is the sort of prayer that God will answer. Lastly, as we think on prayer, we need it. We need help to live this way. We need help 
to really be people of the word more and more. Those who are maturing, those who are being corrected and rebuked and who are um, being encouraged and built up by others in the body. Let's turn to Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. As we prepare to close. Now, in this letter in Philippians, Paul has a lot of encouragement from them. He's gotten so much. He is so thankful. It's just a letter that is um, overflowing with thanksgiving and acknowledgement of what God is doing in them. He is genuinely encouraged by them. And Here's what it says from verses 9 through 11 in his prayer for them. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the sort of thing that we need. We need a love that continues to abound. Not to say that we don't have love, not to say that we are devoid of love, but to say that our love needs to abound more and more. As we've been going through Luke, it just sticks out time and time again how compassionate Jesus was. The, the, the woman who comes in who's been sick for years and years and years, Jesus sees her, has compassion, he heals her. And the Pharisee said, eh, why did you do that? It's not right that you did this. Couldn't you have waited to just do this another time? This is the Sabbath. They were incensed that Jesus would have the nerve, the impropriety to heal on the Sabbath. They were mistaken. They were like, what is that? What is going on? What's happening in your heart where that is your response? But the response of Jesus was so tender. I mean, that's what, that's what I would want if I was there. I would want someone to come to me and help me. If we are people who are abounding more and more in love, we will more closely reflect Jesus. It's also in that love that then we will have knowledge in all discernment. Without love, your knowledge and discernment will be like that of the Pharisees. It will be loveless. It will not reflect Christ. It will reflect a banging gong. It will reflect 
something else, something different. But we need that love. We need to also have love with knowledge and all discernment. This isn't a thing where we have the sort of love where whatever someone says, we just do it, even if it's not good. So we can't, we can't do that. And Jesus certainly didn't. Jesus never co-signed any evil. He never said, yes, this is good. This is fine. Yes, do this more. He told people, yes, you are healed. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. So we need knowledge and discernment with that love. What is this for? Is this so that we can win the next Bible trivia game? No, it's so that we may approve what is excellent. So we can know how to make decisions in a crazy world. What should we be doing? We need God's help. We need our minds to be impacted more and more by his word, by love, by knowledge and discernment. We know that anyone who lacks wisdom could ask it of God and God provides it liberally. God will answer this prayer. As we approve what is excellent, we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We need to be pure and blameless. And it is through Jesus, without a doubt. But as we saw from Romans 8, God's plan, his great work, is to conform us to look like Jesus. So it won't be a thing where right now we actually don't care about that. We don't want that. And then we go to heaven and God mm, zaps us so that now we look like Jesus. It's the thing where he is helping us all along the way. And day by day, step forward, couple steps back, step forward, step forward, half step back, side, side we are looking more and more like Jesus. So we do need to be pure and blameless on that day. And we want that to be uh, seen more and more in our lives each day. We should not rest on, you know, some uh, once saved, always saved idea to say because God truly saved someone that my lack of desire and effort and um, striving is fine. God saved me so that I can live as I lived before. No, he saved us so that we would look like Jesus and shine in this world. We will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We will be filled with that. And what is it all for? Is it for us? Is it just so that we can puff up our chests and say, wow, look at what a great church we are? No, it is to the glory and praise of God. 
Love truly helps to cut through the clutter and um, and trying to discern things. And we know that this is the sort of prayer that God will answer. God wants us to look like Jesus. He has given us his holy word. He has given us his son. He has given the Holy Spirit. He has given a church. And not just this church, there are countless churches around the world that are doing the same sorts of things, encouraging one another, building each other up, spurring one another on. We need that. God is so good and he has given us all that we need to live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are holy. You are different than us. And when we look at the Bible, we see that difference, particularly as we look at Christ and how Christ interacted with people. But Lord, you have also given us your word. You have given us a new spirit, a new heart that we would not continue in the old way, in the way that is headed for destruction and wrath, but instead that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be salt and light in this world, that we would shine for your glory that shows your wisdom and your power, not for our sakes, but for your sake. Lord, help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Stir us up, Lord, that we would want to, that we would yearn with all that we have to be more like Jesus. And that our reputation in this community would reflect that more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.